by a husband and a wife before or intended husband and wife. That is, when a man meets a woman and cuts a woman and they intend to marry, they do this uh, prenuptial agreement. Okay. How many of you heard about it? And how many of you have the question about it? Now, let me ask you, first of all, what is our understanding of the definition of prenuptial agreement? Let's just speak. Yes? Yes? Can I have an, um, uh, a room mic? Because when that question was asked, I wanted to make sure that um, whoever was asking the question understood the meaning of that as in law. Because, you know, maybe there is an intention, and that intention doesn't really fall under that. Then we can answer that area of that person's intention. So that's the reason why I want to know what your understanding is about prenuptial agreement. Yes. Yes, sir. It's, uh, I believe it's an agreement signed between um, an intended husband and wife, um, which will outline the division of any property owned before the marriage and during the marriage, acquired during the marriage, so that if the marriage was to dissolve... Well, what you own before you are going Before you're going to be married. And so it defines clearly what you have before. And it states that anything that you make while within the marriage is um, subject to the laws of marriage. But anything that has been... Uh, discussed or been before. clearly defined before is specific to the person and cannot be shared. Okay. Does anybody have a different view to what he has said? All right. Yes. Yes. Yeah, let's hear from Pastor. I think just to extend what Deacon Zach said, it's a premarital contract mm -hmm. that determines and defines what happens in the event of divorce because the to me, there would be no other grounds for having that contract when you're actually in the marriage. So yes. it's about the yes. division of those assets you've referred to pre-marriage, but, pre, but post your marriage if you do separate. That is correct. Well, prenuptial is pre-marriage. And as uh, Dickens explained it, the intention of it is what I wanted us to know before we can think about what question may come out from it. And coupling the, the contract detail is what Dickens spoke about, where a person, a man and a woman who intends to marry will write down all assets that they have. Monetary, bond, you know, fixed assets, variable assets, unfixed assets, kicked away assets, any assets that you would have. Now, we understand that the basis of this, first of all, is sincerity, isn't it? Isn't it? That is, if you and I have to declare all what we have, then the basis of such declaration is trust. Okay? So, the contract is based on trust. All right, therefore. But what Pastor was talking about is that it doesn't come to effect until after divorce. Because, therefore, the intention for doing such contract is the fear that when we divorce, we can have a clean break 
And that's what law calls it, a clean break. Now, let me ask you from your Christian knowledge. A Christian is going to marry, and before marrying, he was thinking about divorce. Is that scripture? A Christian is going to be married, and he has entered the marriage with the intention that all what is mine is mine, and all what is yours is yours. Is that Christian marriage? Okay. So, therefore, the prenatal agreement in itself, that is showing forth what you have and all stuff like that, is not a problem. It is necessary for you to know what you have, sincerely marriage, it must be spelt out before you marry. But the intention of prenatal agreement is unchristian. So in other words, if, you, if a, a, a Christian man and a Christian woman meet one another and they are intending to be married, it is bonded duty by the scriptures for them both to be sincere to one another. Because marriage is based on sincerity and trust. So, so where there's a bridge of trust in marriage, really, there's, the marriage is void. Are we together now? The marriage is void. Because marriage, as in the scripture, is based on trust and confidence. Therefore, a Christian ought not to go into prenatal agreement. Because the intention of it is anti-Christian. Now, scriptures. Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, verse 24. Shall we read it together now? Haven't we got there? Let's read it loud. So, if you intend to go into marriage, the man and the woman must be united together. And man plus wife equals one. Isn't it? They become one flesh. So, if, if, you, if you take into consideration one flesh, I am one flesh. All what I have, who owns it? I. As you are right now, take yourself before marriage. Before marriage, you are just one. Correct? So everything you have belongs to who? Come on, let's talk. I can't hear you, voice. It belongs to you. So when you get married, and in God's mathematics, you are still one. So all what they have is what? Is one. That is God's binary system. There is no two in marriage. So if you look at the context of the scripture, that they become one flesh. One flesh means one flesh. And property owned by one flesh belongs to one flesh. So my wife and I are one. And from the time that we, we marry, there is no more you and I. It doesn't exist anymore. It is you and you. Or I and I. So therefore, you will understand that the concept of the scripture is 
one flesh has brought into unity all assets of husband and wife. Whereas when there was a woman and a man, they were two. And they had two streams of assets. But when they become one before God, they have one asset. Well, the Bible tells us in the book of, of um, Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9. It says two are better than one because they have a good return to what? To their work. Two are better than one because they have a good return to their work. Look at the book of Matthew 19 from verse 1. He says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Verse 2. Large crowd followed him and he healed them. Healed them there. Verse 3. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Listen to this. For any and every reason. And I think this is the best uh, uh, statements in the Bible to use to identify, you know, or to help people to understand the concept of God when it comes to marriage. Now, verse 4, Jesus replied, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? Hmm? I love that, not male and male. Mm hmm. And said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, female. And the two will become what? One flesh. Only for the reason of marriage can unification of flesh be. Hence the unification of properties owned by the flesh. It is God who programmed the man and the woman to own the property as to consolidate the purposes for which God is bringing offspring through that unification. But look at the next verse. It says, so, they are no longer two, but what? God's binary system. Now, therefore, what God has joined together, let what? No law of any nation has jurisdiction to separate. No intellect or instinct of any man has jurisdiction to separate. Look at verse 7. Why then, they ask, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? I think these people are just like this present day church. What are you talking about? They wanted Jesus Christ to, to disagree with the law of God. And so they were charging for blasphemy. Because they do not understand. They don't have Holy Spirit. These are carnal men without Holy Spirit. Now look at what, what happens here. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wife because your heart was hard. Because of your hardness of heart. But it was not, so, it was not this way from the beginning. Now, verse 9. I wanted to look at that very well. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness. And in the King James Version, he helps us to understand the unfaithful, marital unfaithfulness as sexual immorality. The marital unfaithfulness is sexual immorality. Okay? 
and marries another woman, commits adultery. Okay? Let's look at Luke 16, 18. Luke 16, 18 says, Anyone who divorces his wife, alright? Anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman, commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. I think that is clear. Church, is that clear? Let me stand up. How many of you are from the headquarters? Headquarters, is that right? You are not headquarters. How many of you are from cathedral? Is that correct? Cathedral is headquarters. For this meeting, Cathedral has overrun the new cross in the, in the, in the, in the, what do we call it now? <laughs> in the functioning of headquarters. Do you know something? When we come to the scripture, this is something I want all of you to have in your heart. When we come to the scripture, forget about what happens now. Because what happens now had been before. If you are working to try to interpret the Bible by what people are doing now, you go to hell. I will gather now. There is nothing happening now that did not happen before. But when we look at the Word of God, what we want to look at the Word of God is what does the Bible say? What is God saying? What is the consequence of not obeying what God has said? And we'll see it in the life of those who have been disobedient to it. Then what can that what is the gravity of my disobeying such? You get it? Then we will look into if a remedy is there, what a remedy will be. But here it says here that first tells us that you should, a man should not divorce a woman except for marital unfaithfulness. But then it says that if a man divorces a wife, you know, and marries another, and anyone who marries, sorry, the divorced wife, or any married, who married the divorced man is committed adultery. On that, let me quickly go into this as well. Let's go into the book of Malachi, chapter 16. It says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, the Lord God of Israel, and I hate a man covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, Malachi 2.16, says the Lord Almighty, So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. Now let me help us understand here. This place tells us that if a man is a violent man who hits his wife, I think this one to let me talk a little bit about it. <laughs> because I'm just dealing with that now. Violence is not just physical abuse. Violence could be mental. Alright? Violence will come as a, as a result of neglect. Okay? And violence also could be physical. But the word violence here is really talking about abuse. An abusive man God hates. But understand, if God hates abusive man... He also hates abusive woman. Because in the book of Proverbs, we talked about, you know, 
uh, a fretful woman is like a constant dripping of rain, grasping eyes like grasping, a, grasping oil. If you read the two chapters after, it says that a fretful man also. So you have fretful woman and you have fretful man. So therefore, what the Bible is saying here is, is God hates abuse. Whatever is mental abuse, whether it's physical abuse, whether it's neglect, whether it's, you know, if, if, if a man deprives his children financially when he's able to, it's an abuse. If a man deprives his wife financially when he's able to, it's an abuse. If a wife deprives the husband financially when she's able to, it's an abuse. Understand? And what God is dealing here is the mind. Because God looks at the heart of man. Okay. So he says, I hate divorce, says the Lord, and I hate a man covering himself with violence. Now, if God says, I hate divorce, and I hate violence, it means that violence triggers divorce. Are we in the same place now? Yes? God hates it. God hates divorce, but God hates violent man. Because the violence of a man produces divorce. And you have a lot of that in the Christendom today. Okay? I think this is the way I want to go tonight. Before I will have answered most of the questions there. And any question read that I've answered will just say pass. Okay. So, but if you look at this scripture, it tells us by saying, it ends up by saying, so guard yourself in your spirit. Okay? And do not break faith. So it means that for a man not to divorce is a matter of submitting yourself to your spirit. And the Bible says that to those who are born again, because the book of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 2, it says that you have the mind of Christ. Isn't it 16? You have the mind of Christ. So, and if you look at that from verse 9, when it was saying that what eyes have not seen, no eyes have seen, and no ears has known. But it says, the Lord has revealed it to us by His Spirit. It says, no one knows the mind of God except the Spirit of God in Him, as no one knows the mind of a man except the Spirit of, of a man in Him. It says the Spirit of God searches all things, even the deep things of God, so that the Spirit of a man that is born again is instructed by the Holy Spirit of God. So when the Bible says, listen to your spirit, it's not talking to you about what your mind says. Your mind is informed by all what you see and by all intelligentias, demons and angels and everything. Inform your mind, okay? What you settle up in your, the area of your mind, thoughts and decisions, if it comes from your mind, it can, it can be... Contrary to God, but, you know, suitable to man. But when the Bible says that you should guard your, 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 submit yourself to your spirit, what he's saying is that you should submit your decision to the word of God strictly. Strictly. Guard yourself in your spirit. Protect your spirit. Don't let anything outside the word of God rule your spirit. In your mind, you may feel like hitting somebody. But in your spirit, you know you cannot do that. So when you submit to your spirit, though the, the, what someone had done demands you to have hit him, and you felt you could hit him, but your spirit says no. And because of your spirit, it prevails over you, and you keep your hands back in your pocket. Because you don't want to do anything contrary to the spirit of God that lives in your spirit. I would together now. Guard yourself in your spirit. Now, why is it that, why they were asking Jesus the question in the book of Matthew? You know, Let's go back to the Matthew chapter, chapter 19. You can understand the people God was, Jesus was talking to. They were not born again. Okay? Look at what he said. Verse 6 says, So they are no longer two, but one. 
Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate or put asunder. Look at the response. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? They are saying to Jesus, that, what are you talking about, Jesus? Even Moses, the, the, the one that God sent to deliver us from, from, from bondage, told us that he, if I don't like a woman, kick him out. What are you talking about? What about if we are not compatible? What are you saying, Jesus? How can, how can, I, how can I accommodate a, a nagging woman? Oh, everything I say, she disagrees with it. After all. The husband is supposed to be the head of the wife. But in my house, I'm the neck. Somebody else is the head. I mean, Jesus, how can you talk about this? But Jesus says something. He said, Jesus replied that Moses permitted you to, to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. Your hardness of heart. A hard heart is a heart that cannot submit to the spirit. Romans 8 tells you that. But it was not so from the beginning. Now I tell you, anyone who divorces his wife except for marriage and faithfulness and marries another woman commits adultery. Now look at the disciple, what they said. Shall we read verse 10 together? Are you saying that too as a disciple now? <laughs> Let me tell you the difference between you and them. These disciples are at that time. We are not born again. They were still under the old covenant. They have not been circumcised in their hearts. So they cannot think in line with the Spirit. As it was difficult for the people to understand, it was difficult for the apostles to understand, the disciples to understand. These are the people who have gone out and cast devils out and healed every sick. But yet they don't understand. They only went with borrowed power. And that's it. You can have many people in the, in the Christendom today who are operating in the power of God, casting out devil, healing the sick, but they are not born again. Don't you understand? How do you know a born again person? How can you guarantee that if, if rapture happens right now, you will not miss heaven? It is by your voluntary submission to the word of God. That's how you know that you are born again. If you are struggling to submit to the word of God, you are not born again, man. I received the, the text now, which um, I read today, you know, it's been sent to us a few days ago, that um, the head of um, um, MFM, Dr. Lukoya, said he had a vision. Though I'm going to send him a personal, you know, communication this weekend to confirm that he is the one who published that. But the publication is good, even if he's not the one. He said he had a vision, and in his vision there was rapture, and everybody, ran, you know, there was chaos in the whole world. People were running into churches, and demons were entering the churches and possessing the people and manipulating, messing about the people's life. That's what happened. Torturing people in the church. And then he said he soon discovered that <clears throat> rapture has happened, and the saints have gone. So God revealed to that person what will happen after rapture. It will be unbearable. It will be terrible. Mommy had an encounter before about rapture when she told me. Just even something more terrible. And I've heard from a few number of you who had the, you know, dream about rapture. Even a very young girl in the church. There's a boy too in the church about 11 or 10 that came to tell me. She, he, he woke up and told the parents what he saw. And they were terrified. He said, come and tell the apostle. You see, rapture, it is the taking away of the sins of God on, on the face of the earth. And the reason why we come to church is not to miss rapture if it meets us alive. 
or not to go to hell if we die. Let me say something to you. I, there are some teachings along among the church all over the place, you know, that are very erroneous. Any teaching that tells you that you don't have to do anything, Holy Spirit has done everything for you. It's erroneous. It's erroneous. Because if you, if you listen to the scripture very well, Jesus says, Not all who call me Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of my Father, but also do the will of my Father. You remember the Bible says you cannot continue in sin and expect grace. What is the grace? Salvation. If you look at Romans chapter 12, it tells you, above all things, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, to present ye your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is your reasonable out of worship. Let me say something to you. If any teaching that tells you you can be reckless, you can sin, as long as you repent, you don't understand repentance. Repentance means to, talk, to forsake the evil way. Repentance is different from confession. Confession is you sin and you tell God I'm sorry. Then you commit the same sin again and tell God you are sorry. That is confession. That does not save you. Really anybody who does that, you sin and you go back to it, you have not seen salvation. You, you haven't seen it. If you make a mistake and you committed a sin and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, then you turn away from that sin. You imagine yourself as a judge on earth. Somebody was caught in an act that is criminal act. And you said, because you have not done this before, I give you a suspended sentence. Suspended sentence means I sentence you, but I suspend the sentence. Which means that sentence is waiting for you in the future should you do and so in some cases, the job will warn the person that your record is clean. But we are, I'm not able to put my hands on why you did this, but if they bring you to this court again, and then you went to and said, Judge, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know, I'm sorry. And just say, okay, just go. Then the following three months or one year, you did the same thing again, and they brought you, what would you just say? You again? And you understand the meaning of that. For you to have done it again, the judge now listens. To evidence, and all evidence proved that you did it. I said, guilty or not guilty, I say, I am guilty. The judge will now have to take that sentence he will have given you before and add a little bit of the future sentence, if it's going to be merciful on you, and let you serve one and a half years or one percent, one and fifty percent of your sentence. So that if you go into isolation, you will learn that repentance is different from confession. Even much more. Is the God who created heaven and earth. He is the author of jurisprudence. Now let me say something to you, therefore. Don't take God for granted. If the Bible says, don't do something, as a child of God, you run away from it. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Which means these guys are having serious headache in their marriage, maybe. And probably they would have decided to, to, to disown their wife and get away from the marriage. You know, but they don't know what is holding them until now they met Jesus. Maybe some of them have felt that now that we know Jesus, we can just get rid of that woman. That troublesome woman, now I am a disciple. Only for them to hear that. Do you know something? Because you are a disciple, that's the reason why you have to stick your head there. Now, when they now ask this Jesus this frustrating question. 
You know what Jesus said. Look at verse 11. Let's read together. Did you hear that? Who has the word been given? Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. Unto who has the word been given? To us who are born again. You can't understand the things of the Spirit except you are born again. That's what Jesus was telling them here. You cannot obey the instruction of the Spirit except you are born again. The difference between, major difference between a born again and a not born again is this. <clears throat> when you were not born again, it's possible for you to, to be reckless and have remorse. Okay? Ah, this that I've done is not too good. Boy, you have been too bad. Okay, next time, don't do it to the full length. Just do it half. You shouldn't be too bad, but you can be a little bad, you know. It's remorse. But repentance is somebody feel, felt terrible for what he's done. He's helpless. And he cries to God for mercy. And he turns away from wicked ways. And then you'll be saved. I would get now. So, the disciples also had a headache. Jesus told them, you can't accept it now. But you know what? If we now look at the disciples, hmm, I think Okay. What we are discussing is prenuptial agreement, intentions of it. Is it Christianly? Is it not Christianly? And we recognize that the intention of it is expectation of divorce. So, to look at divorce, we have gone into the scriptures looking at divorce. Now, let me show you something. A little bit. Now, the New Testament now tells us in chapter, chapter 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. It says, I wish, chapter 7, verse 7, I wish that all men were as I am, but each man has his own gift from God. One has this gift, and another that gift. Now to the married, and the widows, I say, it is it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. If you look at the word of Jesus Christ, he says some people are born celibates. In that look, and that Matthew. Alright, the next verse is that some people are born celibates, some may sell themselves a little bit because of the kingdom. Now he says now, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. But, excuse me, let me clear something here. I think tomorrow I'm having marriage seminar with uh, leaders. I'm going to deal with this deeply in that seminar because a question was asked. 
Some people said that the, the tongues that Paul said is in his flesh was the issue of women. How many of you have heard a minister say that before? Lee, raise your hand up. Let me. Yes? You heard a woman minister say that before? Ah, let me put on my glasses. You people don't watch television. Then, do you even watch my program on television? CFT. CFT. <laughs> like you are not, we say. Now, listen to me. <laughs> the thorn in the flesh of Paul is not woman problem. Anybody who says that, let him be accursed. They are reckless, godless entities in the church who have made up their mind to perish and go to hell and to deceive as many as possible. Anyone who says that, whoever he may be, whatever name he may call or title to call himself under heaven, I stand as a messenger of God in this end time to tell you they are antichrist. Why do I say so? Look at verse 12 of Matthew 19. Jesus continued to say, For some are Enoch's, eunuchs, because they were born that way. Okay? Others were made that way by men. They were incarcerated because of their service to man. In, in some African nations up to now, there is a family that is, that is a family that serve the king and eat with the king, all right? They don't, those people that, that are taken like that men, they incarcerate them so that they cannot have sexual intercourse with the queen. Really, in some culture today, when the king dies, they are buried alive. They must die with the king. They have all the privileges of the king, except to touch the wife of the king. They, they are incarcerated, made in eunuchs. Castrated. They are castrated so that they made eunuchs. And it says, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. This is Jesus speaking. So he just told us that some people have been celibate because of the kingdom. They cannot have problem of women. Because Paul said, I asked the Lord to take the thorn away from me three times. That is an infirmity. He mentioned infirmity. I don't know how a stupid man can call what is clear as infirmity. Call it sexual problem. Let me say something to you. Eunuchs don't have sexual problem. Because the ability for sex does not exist. Are we together now? I can hear you. Don't worry when I go that way. I have to. It's my mandate. Now it says, but if they cannot control themselves, that is, men who are unmarried, what do you say? They should marry. For it is better to marry than to born with passion. So we understand there that one of the major reasons for marriage is that man will not born in sexual passion or urge as to be led into fornication. 
Okay. Now, I will talk about sexual intercourse a little while as we go on in this. It says to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. Verse 10. A wife must not separate from her husband. Listen to this. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Now that scripture tells me that it is possible for a woman to separate from the husband. Are we reading the lines together? And what causes that is Malachi 2, 16, I told you. I hate divorce and I hate a violent man. If a married a man is very violent, the Bible says here, and I'll read it down to that you understand it, that is verbatim, that there could be a separation. Okay? But when the situation is remedied, then there should be a restoration. Rejoin again. In our time here, I, I, I'm in England here, when I was a Baptist pastor, there was a woman who came all the time to complain to us how violent the husband is and with this fit of rage. And we would tell her, be patient, because that is what we inherited from our Pentecostal fathers. Okay? Keep on praying, and we are praying with you. The woman came one day and said that the man is threatening to kill me. We said, don't worry, just keep on praying. You have to, you know, anything you find in husband house, isn't it? You have to just endure it. Yeah, in marriage, you just have to endure it. One day on the news, a flash, a man killed his wife. I think it's Hawk Tower. Caught him to pieces and threw him in River Thames. And when the police were coming, he was pulling the body out of, River Thames, out of the car. And people saw blood. They called the police. He, he was pulling it into River Thames. And when they saw the police, he jumped into the river and he died. He committed suicide. When it dawned on us, it was that man and that woman. This is what made me decide. In that, those days, you know, so there are some part of the scripture that we read. We just say that, well, this is what the doctrine says. Okay? From that time, I began to examine every doctrine. I began to examine every doctrine. When I now read about marriage, it was then I discovered that separation is permitted by the scripture. Based on violence only. Of course, Jesus said if there is infidelity, divorce is accepted. Infidelity, divorce is accepted, Jesus said, because 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells you, a person who commits adultery, sin against his body, alright? And in our days, you have all manners of diseases that is flying all over the whole place. Though the Bible didn't talk about that. But when a temple is defiled, okay, and a man continues to defile the temple, Jesus said, divorce is accepted. That is, the marriage can be nullified. But, Paul says, if there is violence in the marriage, then there could be separation. Separation is different from divorce. For separation, you do not need certificate. But for divorce, you need a certificate. 
Because marriage, you are given a certificate. But separation is a mutual agreement to separate for the purpose of somebody going through counseling or reorientation so that he can understand what marriage is. And once he has been passed and he has, you know, is established that he is now calm, okay, the Bible says that the marriage should go back again. That is the separation, the person goes back. Now, verse 10. To the married I give these commands. Now listen to this. But I, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. Someone says to me that, well, the first one is a false view. And I will tell you that if that view is written in the scripture, the Bible tells me all scriptures are what? God's breath. All scriptures are God's breath. So for God to allow it to be written in the scriptures is because it is of God. Not of Paul. Then it says to the married I give this command, not I but the Lord, which is the Lord Jesus, which I read to you in Matthew and Luke. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does so, must remain unmarried or else they will be they should reconcile back to the husband. And the wife, husband must not divorce the wife. Now, verse 12. To the rest I say this. I not, the, I not the Lord, which is his understanding by the Holy Spirit. And I've told you, even what he says thereafter, it's God. That's why it's written in the scriptures. If any brother has a wife who is a believer, and she is willing, who is, who is not a believer... And she is willing to live with him. He must do so. Now he is trying to now explain his statement when he said you, there could be separation. Why should there be separation? Okay. And he says, And she is willing to live with her. He must not divorce. Well, uh, if a brother has a wife who is not a believer and she is willing to live with her, he must not divorce. So you understand the fact that, uh, with him rather, sorry, so that he won't say that I, I, I agree with the other one. I read that scripture again. To the rest I say this, I not the Lord. If any brother has a wife, a woman, wife, who is not a believer, and she, she, woman, is willing to live with him, man, he must not divorce her. What's the matter with you? You know why? When I'm, as I'm reading this, I'm so much anxious to explain it to you. That's why I, you know, my eyes just omit some things. Because my heart is in what I want to say. But I have to call it back now. <laughs> Verse 13. And because the world we are living in now is a different world that I used to live. And if a woman has a husband... Who is not a believer and he is willing to live with her woman, she woman must not divorce him, the man. I hope I'm clear. Okay, now. Let's now go to the spiritual. <laughs> Why is Paul saying this? It says, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife. Hmm? And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified 
through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children will be unclean. So it means that the sanctification comes by sexual intercourse. Are we clear now? Come on now, talk to me. You must understand what I'm saying so that I won't ask you questions that I've answered. Alright? You see, but as it is, they are holy. Look at verse 15. If the, but if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. Now, this is interesting. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Now, this is clear. If a Christian is in marriage and the second person decides to divorce or leave, that Christian can remarry. This is the scripture. He is not bound. It means the bond of marriage has been broken because God has called us to peace. Therefore, what he implies is this, very clear. If I am married to my wife, and my wife becomes violence, okay? And she becomes violent, and my wife decides to leave. I cannot kick her out, okay? But if she leaves, we have two scenarios. For one reason, I can decide to separate. is different from leaving. And during the separation, expose my wife and I to counseling. So that she can change. But if she says that, forget it, I don't want any changes. I am, that's it, blah, 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 blah. I, that's just what I am and that's it. Then I have to pray. If she now decides to terminate the, the, the marriage... Then I can remarry. This is the scripture. So we have two scenarios. One, of sexual misconduct. And second, on violence. Okay. But the condition of the violence is that you are not the one who left. But the unbelieving partner left. Someone said, but what about if both of them are Christians? No, the one who decided to leave is not a Christian. Who decided to put the marriage to an end is not a Christian. Because a Christian is somebody who submits to the word of God. Let me tell you a story. I met a man who we lived together before. My wife and I lived with this family. And this man was a witch doctor. And he married a witch doctor. A wizard, a witch. She's a witch doctor. She married a witch. So, now the man got born again and brought the wife to salvation. And the wife said, okay, I have accepted Jesus. But after coming to church for some time, the wife said, no, I can't continue with this kind of religion. If you touch my eye, I will pluck your own. That's the way I know it. That in this Christianity, people slap you. Are you a fool? You are looking. Where I was coming as a witch, if your hand passed my nose, I will, I will teach you a lesson for allowing your hand to pass through my nose. And a terrible one. But here I can't do it. After a lot of persuasion, she went back to witchcraft. Okay? And now, because the man's prayer will obstruct her operation, she decided to torment the man. She tormented the man so terribly. You know, some other time we'll talk about that because today we're just looking at questions. So. She tormented the man so terribly to the extent of physical injury. Okay? The man... Okay, let me tell you one. One of the summons. 
She will leave home and get drunk to stupor. She will come in the morning about 2 a.m. and use her leg to kick the door open so that the man could beat her. And the man, because he's now a believer, he knows the laws of God. He will not raise his hand. She will vomit in the whole house. Deliberately, the man will clean it. Now she now went to an extent that she will go to the husband, calm down, go to the husband and carry the husband. If the husband has intercourse with her for seven days to two weeks, the man will be bedridden. He will, from that intercourse, he will fall so sick, terribly sick that he cannot move his hands and feet. They have to pray for him to be okay. So when the man recognized that, it is when he had intercourse with the woman that this affliction comes, she, he decided not to have intercourse with her anymore. And she resulted into all manners of violence. So the man decided to now fast. The man fasted in one year, 365 days. Okay? Some of the days of the fasting, he will break in the evening. Some of the days, he will go many days without food and water. Praying God intervene. God intervene. God intervene. It's not even praying God to change the life of the woman. For years, now he's praying God intervene. You know what happened? One day, the woman went and got drunk in her, after her meeting and stuff. And she was singing and shouting. She kicked the door open. And she entered the house. The moment she entered the house, she began to scream, fire, fire, fire. She ran to the wall. She didn't see the door anymore. She ran to the wall, hit the wall. She ran to the other wall, hit the wall. Was screaming. The whole neighbors came out. They were holding her. Now she has been running, ship naked. She said, where is the door? Where is the door? Where is the door? They said, you are going nowhere. Six men could not hold her. As they are trying to suppress her, she will move and everybody will fall. You know, she's demonized. Eventually, after running at Ascata and he hit the door, she hit the door. She ran. They ran after her. She outran everybody with speed. From that day, she didn't come back to that house. You know, this man did not kick her out, but she has got to intervene. Let me tell you something. They went to the family. The man went back to the family and said, Please let her come back. She said, You are a murderer. <laughs> you want to kill me? That house. He told the parents, don't send me back to that house unless you want my dead body. I said, I don't want to do anymore. I don't need you anymore. The man happened to come from the fundamental Pentecostal circle who insists that you cannot divorce at any cost. And they also witnessed all this stuff. So, then the man decided to, the woman married another man and divorced him and married another man. Okay, so that man now moved into a house with my auntie, and our own house was flooded. <laughs> From Nigeria, we have been flooded. <laughs> Hallelujah. So my auntie came and packed all our loot. Our flat was flooded. We just got married and packed our loot to her house. And she has a very big compound with several houses in it. You know, a few acres of land she lives and. She just said, look, this area of the uh, compartment, you stay here. That is yours. It is a complete flat with, with sitting, dining, kitchen, toilet, everything. So, one day we were at the dining table. I didn't know about this man. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon me, and the Lord said to me to tell him, Brother, because of these incidents that has happened in your life, which I was not told, this is the prophetic, and because you have gone through X, Y, and Z, I will give you a virgin for a wife, says the Lord. My auntie said, after the prayer, he said, she go sit down. Let me tell you the story. And my auntie now told me the story. When my auntie told me the story, I also now said, as a fundamental Pentecostal man, how can God tell this man to remarry? Because we believe once you divorce, that's the end of it. And my auntie said, well, if God says something, that is it. Our knowledge of the word at that time is not as bad as today. But because a man came who knows nothing about him, and God through him spoke about him, the details of what happened, and then spoke about, do you know something? That man, not knowing that the woman he will marry, is part of the people who are living in the same house. Because my auntie brought so many people into the house. <laughs> She's just like me. <laughs> if anybody needs help, she will employ the person. And she will give her a house in, the, in, the, in, his, in her villa. And this girl was one of those that she went and picked up because of condition and stuff like that. And uh, helped her and trained her on business. And they, that, that woman now, the girl then, was the one who now was managing her business. And she is a virgin. And one day, he had a vision that, that in the vision, the Lord said, that is your wife. He said, no, it cannot be. He said, it cannot be. Whatever the case may be, they got married. All right? And they have children. Now, he's a pastor now, used mightily by God. But what I'm saying to you is that this scripture is true as it is written. It is true. The Bible can never lie. But understand... It is the unbeliever that left. So if someone says that, ah, but they are both Christians, if the one leaves, that one is the unbeliever. Are we together now? Now, do you know something? I said to you that I was going to uh, share with you about just a little insight about uh, oneness. This oneness. Okay? If you look at that 24, Genesis 1, it says what God has joined together. So a man will leave his wife and family and will cleave to the wife and they become one flesh. And then in Matthew 19, it says what God has joined together and let my press on about. Look at this. Verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 7. Now for the matter you, have wrote, you, you wrote about, it is good for a man not to marry. This is Paul. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife. And each woman, her own husband. Okay? And he's talking about sexual morality. The husband should fulfill his marital duty, the King James Version called the conjugate rights, to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. And that is talking about sexual intercourse in marriage. Then he went further to say, the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent agreement as for a time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. 
Understand the condition of that. It says husband and wife, a, man, a, a woman cannot just wake up in the morning and the husband, you know, asks for her. She says, I'm fasting. To who are you fasting? To who are you fasting? God is not interested in such fast. Because God has said to you that once you are married, if you have to fast, you must agree. You must tell your husband or your wife that you want to fast. So that the heart of your husband or your wife is prepared to support that fast. You don't wake up in the morning and tell your husband or your wife that God told me yesterday that I should fast. If God didn't tell him, God didn't speak. Because God will not contravene what he has written. Okay? I have counseled marriages where the man has been starved of sex because every time the woman is always saying that I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. You know what happened? The man went into adultery. Okay? Because if you are the one waiting on the Lord, he has to look for someone that he doesn't wait on. Your own God you are waiting on is not the God of the Bible. Because the God of the Bible says to you that you cannot wait on me if you are married without mutual agreement with your husband. I will together now. I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm waiting on the Lord. So then the man went to a person who is not waiting on the Lord, who is waiting for him. Are we together now? Same thing the man cannot say that to the wife. Because once you marry, you don't rule, you don't own your body only. You share your body with someone. Same thing I have a situation whereby in the marriage, the husband got frustrated because the woman since marriage would never the man would strip himself naked, but the woman would not. She will cover part of her body. If you still want to keep your nakedness, don't marry. Know that very clearly. It is hypocrisy. You are a woman, you are married, you are, keep, you are covering your breasts, and you open the rest of your nakedness. Which one should you, call, should you cover? It is total nonsense. Ex- extreme malady. Are we together now? Thank you, darling. The Bible says, for this reason, a man shall leave his family. Okay? And what? Be joined to his wife. Verse 24. Isn't it? Look at verse 25. Let's read it together. Shall we? Verse 25. Who is on that, that projector? Chapter 1, verse 25. Read it together. I think some people, the way, the way your own Bible is interpreted as the man and the wife was half naked. That both, your own is half. The, the man and the wife were both naked, the Bible says. You contravene it, you disobey the Lord of God. Then Satan will creep into your marriage. And when the devil enters a marriage, you know he will keep sly low. And strengthen that attitude that gave him the room. And give you all conviction that what you are doing is right. Until he is grounded and he has pulled your love relationship apart. Far like east to west. And at that time, your eyes will open, you can't bring it back together again. Because once you allow a stranger to penetrate your marriage, you are gone. You know, devil is easier prevented than eradicated or gotten rid of once he has put in his feet. Are we together now?
The last thing I want to deal with, I will look at your question. If I haven't answered it. Ephesians 5, verse 22. Shall we read together? Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Okay? The next one. Yes, the next one. Now underline the word in everything. And equate it to as to the Lord. So, what the Bible is saying is that a Christian woman must obey the husband in everything as to the Lord. In other words, everything your husband says in line with the Lord. If your husband tells you to do anything against the Lord, you cannot obey. I repeat myself. You cannot deny the Lord for your husband. The reason why I'm saying this is that in England here, two folks came to me some many years ago, and this is their case. The woman is a, is a believer, the man is a believer, prophet. But whenever the woman, when the woman got married, she said whenever herself and her husband want to have intercourse, the husband will tell her to take a cane, which he bought from somewhere, and tell her to cane him on the bonds. Yes, listen to me. May you never know it. It's, it's very common in England. And it came from, from witchcraft. Until he bleeds, meets the woman. Okay? The woman was born African, came in here, but the person is married to is British-British. English-British. So, the woman said she thought that, she said, in my culture, you can't beat your husband. Maybe it is their culture. Okay? Not knowing that the man read a book on witchcraft. A, a witch book written by, you know, some mediums. And they instructed such acts, attaching it to enjoyment of your sexual life, whereas it is a ritual in witchcraft. Both of them go to a Pentecostal church here. I will mention the name of the church. Big church. How many years ago? In the 90s, early 90s. But when they came to me, the woman now said, she stood up. When she heard about my ministry, she came. So when she came and she was explaining, I said, this is witchcraft now. Go and call your husband. And the man came. Very innocent. Very naive. When the man was talking to me, I recognized that the man did not recognize that it is witchcraft. Though the book is written by a medium. You know, you Christians, let me tell you, those of you who read books to try about marriages, about marriage, books about marriage, and thinking that you will learn from it. 
I'm sorry for you. Very sorry for you. <laughs> All the learning of a believer concerning marriage should come from the scriptures. You haven't read the Bible. All the scriptures are talking. You don't know it. And you are reading marriage books written by hopeless people who have their inspiration from occultism. They have destroyed many Christians. Especially people who cannot keep marriage and are teaching you how to keep a marriage. If they can keep it, why can't they show you the one they kept? Be careful. Mm. Or Christians who got married and they are going to read books about written by ungodly people about sexual intercourse. They will introduce you to the devil easily. Before you know it, demons have entered into your body. And by the time you recognize it, it is too, too late. Because your children will be defiled. Why should they be praying in church and some people who supposedly Christians are manifesting? They contacted about all this irregular stuff. Before you know your character will start to change, your behavior will start to change, and at the end of it, you are fed up. Hell, gone forever. Therefore, if a Christian seeks knowledge about marriage, turn to the Bible. If anybody writes anything about marriage, if it does not establish by the Bible, it is philosophy of man, it came from the devil. I tell you divine, divine truth. If anybody writes anything about marriage, if it is not based on the scripture, it is from the devil. I repeat myself. In this matter, I'm an authority. Those of us who have successful marriage didn't read any of those stuff. We read the scriptures. At least, we can say that we are successful in marriage. I haven't married for 32 years. I think I have tried. And have known my wife for 42 years. I think I have tried. And we are going on for 100 years. She said... Because both of us are doing everything in our power to make sure we live long. You see? We are juicing. We are smoothing. <laughs> eating ginger. Eating garlic. Eating kale. Barley grass in the morning. <laughs> barley field in the night. Hallelujah, somebody. <laughs> every, every, every... Every um, leaf that can make your life long, we are eating it raw. Say this life, it shall be long. <laughs> Hallelujah. Apart from prophesying daily, long life will I satisfy you and show you my salvation. At the same time, according to the word of God, making sure we don't eat McDonald's anymore. Any GM product far from the madding crowd. Hallelujah, somebody. Wake up in the morning and take uh, one, one bottle of, of, of water. Hallelujah. And then drink at least two liters of water every day to cleanse your... Hallelujah. And exercise when God allows. <laughs> Hallelujah, somebody. For this world, we want to leave. <laughs> but if that comes, we go. <laughs> Hallelujah. The answer after you have done everything to stand. Stand therefore. So what am I saying here? 
The Bible says, why should you submit to their husband as unto the Lord? And you women should understand it. As long as the instruction is unscriptural, you cannot accept it. This is the word of God. And no Christian should give their, their wives ungodly instruction. Okay? So, the, the strength of a woman is in submission. The husband. And I tell you something, whatever your husband likes to eat, you make sure you get it. The God of a man is his stomach. A woman who can satisfy the stomach of a man will rule over the man. Every man believes that, say amen. They didn't answer me. I will tell your wife to put you on diet, on a, what do you call this diet? <laughs> no, not hallelujah diet. There's one diet they do before that uh, some people did and they were all vomiting. Nobody. Eh? Aching diet. <laughs> Aching diet. Do you know something? There is nothing that can destabilize a man as when the man was with his mother. His mother knows what he loves best. And he cooks it for him. Makes it ready for him. When that man gets married and a woman, a Christian woman says, I can't be bothered about it. With your own hand, you destroy your house. Okay? You must submit to your husband's desire and fulfill his desire. But to the husband, he says, love your wife just as Jesus loved the church. If you look at Jesus Christ, no matter what the church does, Jesus forgives the church. So that is the key. No matter what your wife does, any mistake, you must forgive. You know, something about forgiving your wife is that before she did it, you have forgiven her. It's a matter of an attitude. I would together. If my leg, as I'm walking now, I hit my leg on a stone, can I just say, please, please, this leg, I've, I've been hitting it on the stone four times this month. Cut it off for me. Oh, I've been biting my tongue recently. I bit, I bit my tongue about five times for the past two days. Please remove the tongue. Before you beat your tongue, you're forgiving your tongue. Before your leg make you fall, you are forgiven. You have a heart to recognize that it's body, it's part of you. Okay? So if it's part of you for any malfunction, if your, your leg, your, the doctor said that your leg, a disease is attack your leg, what do you do? You tell the doctor, cure it now. What can cure it? <laughs> if you can't cure it, you start Google. Google, Google. The cure is in Brazil. You will take plane and go to Brazil to cure that leg. So is your wife. I would get them now. You must love your wife. Mommy just thought about love. I don't want to talk much about it. When her time comes for it, she will teach you. The difference between feel you love. Someone said value. Feel you. Feel you love. Agape love. Storage. Storage love. It says storage love. Storage love. But the fact is this. A man must love his wife. And a wife must submit to the husband. Now, but let me give you this. For a man to love his wife, and for a woman to submit to the husband, verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. If you look at that, therefore, what he's saying is that prefer one another. That is love. Prefer one another. You cannot lie to one another. 
You must be transparent to one another. If you lie to your wife, you are lying to yourself. If you deceive your husband, you are deceiving yourself. The fact is that the Bible says that everything done in the secret should be, will be exposed. One day it will be exposed. And when it's exposed, you know, it will be very, very bitter. We must recognize that if we comply with all these with, and with others who have been teaching you, you will be in a position that you didn't give a devil, the devil a foothold. There is a question that I should have answered really. But uh, Pastor Tayo, please get me a chair for Pastor Tayo. I want him to come and read these uh, questions. Any question read that is answered, I'll just say pass. Now, yeah, get, okay. Can I say this? Someone asked, someone asked me the question on, um, you, know, you know, when you're having courtship, okay, when you're having courtship with a woman, is it right to always sit by the woman or is it wrong? Especially when you come to the house of God. Let's debate it. Somebody talk. You are in courtship, you are not married. And you are sitting together like husband and wife in church. Yeah? It is wrong, someone said. Someone says he doesn't think it's wrong. How many of you think it's wrong? Let us raise our hand. We vote. How many think it's wrong? How many think it's not wrong? Okay. How many people don't know? <laughs> All right. Now, let me ask you a question. This is the question. This is the question. The first question is this. If I sit with the woman I want to marry in church beside her, what's my intention? That's the first thing. Huh? That is my wife. So if I sit in the church with my wife, married woman, it's all right, he will read it there. No, he's reading there. Don't worry. He's comfortable there. Now, if I sit in the church, if, let's say I'm a, I'm a stranger, and I came to the church, this man is sitting and the wife. This man is sitting and the wife. This man is sitting and the girlfriend. This man is sitting on the wife. What will I think? That's right. Now, let me say this to you, therefore. What about if I decide eventually not to marry her? Okay? And the man who came and saw her and I was the one who would have married her. Okay? Now, when they split, really, they don't always tell people in relationship. What you just say that they start sitting differently. But then that man will still believe this is another man's wife sitting somewhere else. That is one reasoning. Second reasoning is this. The Bible says that a husband, a wife should ask from her husband at home what he said in the church. Okay? When you are in courtship and you are sitting together, what is the relevance? Courtship is not a time, according to the scripture, those of you who are in courtship are Christians, the Bible says you should not behave like the world, carousing one another. Because when you caress one another, then it leads you to fornication. Fornication is an act of sexual intercourse outside marriage. It's sexual immorality. Should you die before marriage in that? What happens? You can't go to heaven. Plus, we also understand that 
God has created the ravager to work havoc for Isaiah 54. Any contravention of the law of God exposes a man to the punishment of hell or deprives a man from a provision of God. Okay? So that's the reason why the Bible instructs us that the courtship of Christians should be arm's length. It should be sacred. What you know that you are going to be doing for the rest of your life, why are you in a haste? Why are you in a haste? Alright? So, if you know that that's where you are going to live for the rest of your life, why should you be in a haste? When you come to the church and you are sitting down beside the person you intend to marry, you will never tell me somebody will be lost in for the other. And when the word of God is coming, that's when Satan will come to the mind of the person. Before you know it, you miss God. When you come to the house of God, you come to hear God. Not to console anybody and stuff like that. The same thing, husband and wife, to come to the house of God and the, the husband is put his hand on the neck of the wife and all stuff like that. That is ungodly. It is ungodly. Because what about people who are not married? Before them you are doing that and before your maker. You are no serious man with God. Neither are you a serious woman with God. Because the house of God is not a place of exchanging of kisses and romance. That's not the purpose of the house. The purpose of the house is to be edified. Anything that is not edifying, if you do it, is ungodly. Have you not got your house to caress yourself? Have you not got your house to kiss yourself to the place of, even if your mouth wants to bleed, bleed there before you come here? <laughs> before you come here. <laughs> If you kiss yourself and bite yourself, no problem. But not in the church. We need to understand reverence of God. Does that revive God? How would you imagine bishops standing in the altar and kissing their wives? Is that what they are there for? Would you not say that the altar of God has been defiled? So also is the power of God. The church is not a place for caressing. It's not a place for romancing one another. It is a place to hear God. Listen to me, therefore. If you defile the temple of God and rapture happens, where are you going? Hell. Straight. We must understand, especially those of you who are, you know, born in this Pentecostal age. That's why God left people like myself as remnant of the old. The present Pentecostal age is heading to hell with terrific speed. Terrific speed. Everybody who has had encounters of rapture, we tell you their regrets is that maybe if we're pessimistic, 90% of those who come to church today are going to hell. Because of all these little, little contraventions that people don't reverence God anymore. You come to the house of God, fear must be in your heart. Beginning from respect to the anointed of God, to the leadership God has given you, to the pew where you worship God, to the altar that you climb, it's a privilege. Let me say this to you, you know, I've seen this culture just emerge. Actually, when we had our 21 days of praise, some of the artists who came took water in their hand, bottle to the altar. It is rude. What are you singing that you are carrying water bottle into the altar of God? What are you, what are, what are, so we who preach for hours. If you need water, you know, to drink water because your voice is cracked or whatever. You should put that water on a table and put 
water on a, on a cup, not why you are in the, you know, the whole world is watching your program. You are ministering as unto God. You are carrying a bottle of water. You drink and you put it down. Ah, mean, you let me do that now. How will you feel I am? I carry the bottle of water and say, hello. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> no, there, are some, so there are some attitudes that our common intuition should tell us. It's not befitting to the excellence of the God we worship. And that is what we must adopt so that your generations to come will know the truth. Pastor, ask the first question. Um, just to clarify very quickly to let people know, there I've, what I've done is I've grouped this very quickly because there are some that are across the same themes. There are one or two, in fact, three or four, actually, that you've already answered. So I'm putting those to the end in case we've still got more time. So I've done some very, very good, quick groupings. Um, amazingly, there are, there's just a bit of, I've never come across this, but it's amazing the sort of things that come online now. Apparently, there are about three or four questions all along the same theme, sir. It's something about a man of God who had a revelation from God about a missionary-style relationship in sexual intercourse. Relation? Well, the question says, are you aware, how aware are you of the fact that a man of God got a revelation from God about how couples should should have intercourse? He said God only approves one way, which he calls the missionary style. And apparently, I mean, there are about three or four four of that, so obviously it's something that is quite common. And I'm coming across it for the very first time. Um, but apparently there's a man of God who's been sending videos and messages about on TV saying there's some, the God's ordained um, means for a man and a woman to have intercourse is something called a missionary style. And um, anyone who does not have sexual intercourse, married couple in a missionary style um, are going to hell. So it means that Peter would have been in hell because Peter lived before this missionary style came. And then uh, Matthew, Mark, John, and all the apostles and all the patriarchs must have been in hell. He's talking nonsense. That minister is a messenger of Satan. I haven't heard it, but that minister is a messenger of Satan. Let me first say this to you. About your personal life, what does the Bible say? Let me read that to you. If anybody comes and says that the Holy Ghost gave me vision about sexual intercourse, why is it in the Bible? Why is it in the Bible? Let me say, in trying to help Christians not to be perverted in this promiscuous globe, we cannot do, we cannot help God. All right? What did Jesus say about your personal life? Look at John 16, verse 12. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into what? So your sexual life should be by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now, if sex is holy, which the Bible says it is, because the Bible says in that first Corinthians, it will sanctify your body. When husband and wife want to meet, they need to pray about it. 
Especially when you want to bring baby in. You need to pray about it. Lord, we want to meet, we want a child. That is how I gave birth to all my children. And it never missed it. When we kneel down to Mrs. Dickness Adisa, in her case, the same thing happened to her. Whenever she wants a baby, God said, let him come and talk. The day she came to me, said, I'm ready for baby. The Lord said to her, she does not menstruate, okay? Okay? I won't pray with her, she conceived. And God said after that conception, anytime she's ready with her husband, she should come. And when I pray with them, he will answer them. When after she gave birth, she, she saw blood for about 10 days and the blood stopped. And she never saw blood anymore for two years. When the time was up, she came to me that, you know, we are ready for another child. I said, go and call your husband. And he went to call the husband. And the both of them came to me. This is Pastor Adiza here and Dickness also. When they came to me, I said, okay, we went to, I said, follow me to the altar. We went to the altar. I said, Father, you who spoke on this altar. Your children said it is time for another child to come. Bless them. They went and that meeting gave birth to the second child. When the second child, they are finished with this and they want another child again, they came. I said, go and call your husband. When we went to the altar, in the altar, the Lord said, and this one shall be the boy that I spoke about. So, you must know that sexual intercourse is holy. If it is holy, then you need the Holy Spirit to help you. Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. So listen to me, therefore, for any man to make a claim on under heaven that God appeared to him or the Lord Jesus appeared to him and Holy Spirit told him or whatever, I can tell you from the evidence of the scripture, from my position in the Lord, it is from the devil. I would mean now. So when you want to have your your meeting with your spouse, kneel down and pray and just go ahead and do it. There's no such a thing as missionary ways from the devil. Yes, let me hear other questions. The, praise the Lord. Yes. Um, because you see, if the church of God continues to believe prophecies that have a biblical basis, somebody will still tell you that masturbation is missionary way. Uh, oral sex. He was going to tell you that oral sex is, is missionary way. Do you know that oral sex came from idol worshipping? It's in the book of Deuteronomy. It came from wizardry. The life of a man is in the sperm. It carries the blood. If that sperm is injected into the mouth of a man, that person cannot, is, not, is not different from a witch. If you go to a meeting and someone says, I don't know uh, whether this house or our sex is, uh, what, the, what is the take? There is no take. It's from the devil. My father was a wizard. You want me to tell you more? Yeah. That was my father's name in occultism. Oral sex came from um, witchcraft. Okay. And I can explain how it happens to you. That is how it came. It comes. Orgies also 
came from witchcraft. Man sleeping with man, woman sleeping with woman, came from witchcraft. It is a libe- it is it is it is it is a ritual in witchcraft to invoke Lucifer. If you are in the world and you want to be deluded, it's your business. The owner of the world will soon bring an end to this world. I am sorry, will never be accepted in the judgment day. Read on, Pastor. I hope I'm clear. Uh-huh. We've got a number here and I'll group it together. Can I ask, please, there's a, someone who had, a, who had a long letter dated the 16th of April 2015 addressed to praise God, Reverend Omar. Can I ask specifically to see the, that to you see Reverend, see yes. Reverend Omar That's and right. our Apostle yeah. specifically? On that, yeah. I would not read through the details of it, no. but you need to see, you need to arrange to see them specifically. Most of these are on, on, an, on issues of adultery, which to an extent Apostle has addressed, but perhaps it might do with some clarification. Um, I met my husband before accepting the Lord Jesus as my Savior. We, have, we now have children and are legally married. He's yet to give his life to God, but he behaves like someone who doesn't have the fear of God in him. I pray for him and try to be patient with him. He's adulterous. He hides everything from me. He, he has got to beating me up, and I call the police on him. He has now moved out of the family home to God knows where. What should I do? Thing the same person has written. I'll, I'll group all of this together, sir. Mm. Another one related to it is my question is what should a woman do when her husband messes around sexually to the point of um, having um, which one? Sexual di- diseases, contacting also the um, sexual d- infections and affecting her as well. Um, there's another situation a man who watches pornography and pictures of naked women and hides it from his wife and she finds out what can she do from stopping him from downloading it however he also puts passwords on everything on his messages on his whatsapp on his facebook messengers um, and she thinks he's hiding some things from him what can she do from being overprotect from for, from him being overprotective of, on his phone and he also has on christian friends and girls, is it wrong or right? Because he never tells, he never introduces them to her. Um, fourth one linked to it is if a man is a Christian and he's a deacon in church, he has two wives, one in London and another in another country. What should the first wife in London do? Please let me know. So I've just sort of grouped that all together, right. all about adultery. That is it. Let me first say this. All those questions, if a woman is having it, and the woman is in the church, what should he do? Someone speak loud. What's your first thing to do? I don't think you need to be told that. Unless you are deceiving yourself. I will get it now. If a woman is a member of a church, or a man is a member of a church, and the husband or the spouse is committing adultery, common sense, Reflex action is to go to the authorities. If you don't, you are lying. Because when it comes to the case of adultery, you can't accuse a man of adultery or a woman of adultery unless he's caught in the act. You will come to fools. There are a lot of people who have this suspicion in their mind. Devil oppress their mind. Okay? 
If you say that somebody commits adultery, you must have caught him in the act. If you did not catch him in the act, forget it. Your mind can just be deceiving you. And you are just worrying yourself for nothing. So therefore, the answer is, you must bring that person before the authority. You won't come alone. Okay? You come to a service. In that service, let's go to our father to pray for us. You will come before him or before her. That day, why I have brought him or her is because of this issue. Any minister who hears that will book you instantly. Okay? Uh-huh. So, but you must understand that is the first thing. The second thing is that if somebody is doing all those things, they are not born again. You see, the issue of sexual morality, someone can fall into sexual morality, a Christian. Then a Christian can be bound demonically into sexual morality. Very simple, I told all of you. In occultism, any one of you before was a wizard or a witch? Raise your hand if you are a witch. Why are you behaving like that? If you are a witch, raise your hand. I want to talk something about witches, witches and stuff like that. This is what they do. The nipple of a woman is a counterpoint. Those who are into occultism will spell, put a spell in their nipple. And if you look at their dressing normally, their nipple will always stand. When a woman is not roused up, what is her nipple standing for? Be careful. Their own nipple is always standing like this. If they hug you once, they will hold you tight. If a man is hugging another man, another woman, that is, a woman is hugging another man's husband, how could you hold that person tight? A woman? Ah, uh-uh. you man that they hold tight should think twice and fast and deliver yourself before they inject you according to the book of Proverbs chapter 6 with your dad. Why do you embrace another man's bosom? Says Proverbs chapter 6. I would together now. Another thing that they use for weapon is their clitoris. They will cast spell on their female organ. That you only need to sleep with them once. You will be controlled. Either you pray in tongues or you, fire is burning on your head. You will lose the whole fire. The whole tongue will cease. Okay? And they operate by the principles of the spirit. Can a man hold, uh, 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 put a woman, another man on the last? It says, and it, it says can, a, can a man put coal on his last and not be burnt? Let me read to you, Joe. It's because the things I'm saying now, it may look like, uh, very quickly I'll read to you. Look at the book of Proverbs. It may seem as if what is Apostle saying. The sin of sexual morality, the Bible says that you should run, flee from it. He says, run, flee. Look at what it says here. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water in your own system. Running water from your own well. This is talking about sex. Should your spring overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public square, let, it be, let them be yours alone. Never be shared with strangers. That is your sexual organ. When you are, you know, um, in tune. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. 
a loving do, a graceful dear, may her breast satisfy you always. Listen to this. May you never be captivated, may, may you ever be captivated by her love that is your wife. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? An adulteress is anybody who sleeps another person's wife or husband. Another person's husband, rather. Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? Their nipple will finish you. You don't just embrace any woman. You watch me in church. Some women, I stretch hand to shake them. If you see me embrace a woman, I know the woman to her spirit. And when I look at a woman and I see something else inside, if she's coming with her two hands like this, I will stretch my hand and hold her back. If she tries to push, I will push her back. Gently. <laughs> Not exerting force more than necessary. <laughs> As a prevention. Do you understand me? You don't think that if you're a woman, what are you looking for hugging other, hugging other people's men? Or if you're a man, what are you looking for hugging other people's women? You must be very careful. You may hug to your own dilemma. Because it says here, why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his parts. You that they embrace, and in your, in your mind you are fantasizing. God is recording you. You who are looking for hugs so that you can be fantasizing, God is looking at you. The evil deeds of a wicked man ensnares him. Are you hearing this? Either you are looking at it. I told you before. Anybody who goes to the internet or goes to television to look at two naked people or one naked person's nakedness, the person is suffering from mental neurosis. He has been possessed by evil spirit. A minister went before in America, I've forgotten his name, but one of the pronounced ministers, evangelist, and he was just going for crusade. He, got, he said he got to a, 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 uh, the airport and they delayed his flight. So he went into um, this um, book, book uh, shop, um, this something Smith. W.S. Smith. No, the bookshop. W.S. Smith. So he saw Honey Boy. I, eh? Playboy. <laughs> I don't know it. <laughs> now listen to me. Listen, church. This is, a, this is a testimony that is released all over the Pentecostal church. He saw Honey Boy. A Playboy. Sorry, Playboy. So... He said he took the magazine of the Playboy. As he took that magazine and opened it, something came outside that magazine and entered into his body. And he said, ah, what is this? He put it back. He went to his crusade. God did miracles. He came back from his crusade and began to have orgies towards women. So one day, I don't know whether Jerry Savelle now and one of these old folks, he was working with their team said, come here. There is a demon inside you. And the colored ministers locked the door. And they locked the door. Today he must come out of you. He didn't tell anybody. But he has been oppressed by this urge to go and commit adultery. Even to the place of going to prostitutes. But he hasn't done it yet. If that spiritual father did not recognize it, he will be destroyed. They started praying for him. When they were praying, 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 after a while, he began to manifest. Evangelist. 
And he said something, that his body was secreting some slimy stuff. When they hold his body, it will slip up like frog. Okay? The whole of his body. And they kept on praying until all the demons came out of him. When all the demons came out of him, then his, his eyes came down. So then that father asked him, where did you get this from? He now told them the story of Honeyboy, you call it. Oh, Playboy. Playboy. You understand? Look, someone says that, but how can that be? How do you get baptized with the Holy Ghost? By reading the Bible. So the Spirit enters into you by reading the Bible. Repentance is Spirit. He enters you by reading the Bible. To do good things, according to you read it and then you change. So also when you read the handwriting of demons, they enter your body through reading. So, anybody who has sexual problems should know this, that it helps straight. You must seek for help immediately. When you get to go and read chapter 6 and read chapter 7, when we talk about sexual morality, I will cover that. I'm writing a book now on the danger in sexual morality or sexual morality the greatest killer. It will be out very shortly. So, we need to know this. I was also... Shall I tell them these, or I don't know what questions you have there. The sexual, sexual issue are more than anything there. No, there are some others. Okay. Other. Ask all the questions, not okay. only youths, and married people too. Both youths and married people. Okay. Go ahead. Um, these ones, just I'll, Remind I'll, me, I'll, Pastor, I'll, when we finish all the questions, I will tell them the experience of K2, and that will finish the meeting. Okay. I'll just come by the next three. I'll read through the questions. The first one is, I had a revelation about my life partner, but I'm not sure whether this revelation was from God or from my mind, or from the mind. How can you truly know that a revelation about your life partner is of God? Because what I see in this person does not seem to be in line with what God has revealed. Well, two ways you can know whether a revelation is from God. Number one, out of the mouth of two or three weaknesses. The truth shall be established. So if you had it, keep it. And keep telling the Lord, send someone to me to confirm it. Without information to anybody. And if you said, get the second, as for the third. Okay? But if you are a woman, it puts you in a, in a more dangerous position. A woman has no power, either spiritually or carnally, to go and approach a man. If you are a woman and you had a vision that somebody is your husband, until that person approaches you, and you must not dance around the person. Okay? You must take care from that person. Total isolation from that person. If you are in the department, move from that department to another department so that you don't have anything to do with it. So that if that person comes by the revelation, then you have confirmed it. But if you say that, if, I don't know whether it's a woman who wrote this or a man who wrote this, but this is the same way with both. If you are a man and you have some revelation, you can get confirmation from two or three witnesses. Number two, you can ask the lady to pray. Okay? But of course, you must be very sure that the lady you are asking to pray is solid. Because if it's somebody who is looking for something to grab, he would just tell you the second day that really yesterday, Holy Ghost appeared to me and <laughs> already you are pulling in my hand and said, so you must be very, very careful. Maybe I will advise that you tell your leader to confirm from the Spirit. 
Do you get me now? And let me say something to you. When you are looking for a future partner, a woman should never be in a haste. Don't be in a haste that you are getting old. There is no such a thing. Some people will marry early. That's how God ordained it. Some people will marry in their older age. But let me tell you something. The older you are before going to marriage, the better your marriage is. That is a fact. Because a good number of people who go into marriage at a very young age, they will soon grow to their mid-twenties, late-twenties, to discover that, oh, what have I done? But your head is in it. Do you understand? Um, people marry from the age of 18 in England because you are, uh, you are classified to be matured, but you are not. 18 is still a, a child. I would mean now. 21, 22, 23, you are still a child. When you talk of marriage, you don't know. All what you think about is kissing someone somewhere. Marriage is more than kisses. Kisses do go sour. I would get it now. So, you must have this in your understanding. For you, if you seek God and you serve God faithfully, it is impossible for God not to fix you up with your right rib. And don't make a mistake, you will be suitable partner. So, the person who said that he had a dream, he had a vision, and that person doesn't look compatible, the Bible says you will be compatible. Chapter 2, verse 18. God saw it is not good for man to be alone. I'll make him a helper suitable. That is a helper compatible. Really, let me say this. I was talking about it in my office a few minutes ago. Do you know that if a man approaches you and he says that I am a director of this company, I have second degree in this and first degree in that and master's degree in that and third degree here, you must see those certificates and verify them from the university. The office he works, you must go there and ask of him without telling him you are coming and find him there as what he said. Okay? Because only God may not tell you all that. You have to verify it. And if one of your information is a lie, pack your bag and baggage when he comes and say, May the Lord bless you forever. Let him go. The same thing for a woman. It's not always common with women to lie, but some may. You must establish the information you are given. Really, here in this church, a good number of times, with those who are the older ones, when they come to us, they want to marry someone, and their parents are in Africa, we, I, my wife and I, have contacted their parents. We have sent people to go and investigate that family to make sure that all what they said is correct before we give our approval. So that people will not go and make mistakes. Because if you marry and you are having a headache and you are here, it will become my headache. I'm the one who won't let sleep in the midnight when I should be resting. So anything I can do to mitigate, to make sure that what you are deciding, but put Holy Spirit aside. What about you? What do you see? Second thing is this. Today's world, as it is right and necessary for you to verify the qualifications, the reason for a woman is that a woman should be a suitable helper. And if a man had put himself in this height and you marry him and you discover that you are here, but the man is here, you can't come out again. Don't let the nose, the mouth, make you crazy. Beyond nose and mouth, standard of life that you are, the husband God will give you will be either equal or above. That is the scripture. A, the, the place where the, the man is a suitable helper, it's a wrong order. It is calamity from beginning. 
Are we together now? And a woman is always a woman. Feminine and man is always masculine. So the time will come that the woman is taking care of everything and the man will think that, ah, why are you usurping my power? Before you know it, there is calamity. So therefore, you must verify those information. Secondly, in today's marriage, if you get someone you engage, go and do blood tests. Both of you, and bring it. You check it, check the person you want to marry. To make sure that your blood group is not sickle cell. Number one, can God give two people who are SS together? No, sir. It's not God's perfect will. Okay? Because if you say that oh, God will perform miracles, He should perform the miracle by changing the cell first. Are we together now? Somebody had come to me in this church who said to me that, Apostle, I want to marry this lady in Nigeria and have been, you know, cutting her for three years. I said, oh, that is good. Why didn't you tell me? And let's pray about it. He said, well, you know, uh, they are making plans to marry. I said, okay. He said, but their pastor insists that we should do blood tests. I said, yes, I also insist that. They went to do blood tests. This man talking to me is a sickle cell. And they discovered that the girl is a sickle cell. And the pastor said, no. So this young man came to me and said that. The pastor said no. I said, that is God. Who said no? Because I also say no. He said, but, but, but we can believe God for a miracle. I said, yes. You can believe God for a miracle. No marriage must take place until that miracle has first taken place. Because the children you will bring to the world, we have crisis. And you have no right to knowingly produce such seed. So we cancel that marriage. They have planned for their wedding. We cancel it. The woman is now married. And this man now is married to his own wife. The woman he married to, you know, very, very loving, very compatible, and they are doing fine. So you need to make sure that whatever claim the person says he is, you verify. Then do blood group and uh, make sure that blood group is okay. There is a third thing. Yes, let me tell you the third thing is this. Oh, yes, yes. The blood test will tell you all about blood tests. The blood test will give you all the information you need. I just want to stop there because of law. Are we together now? So, but when I talk about sickle cell, that is permissible by law, but then you can go beyond. Now, let me go further. You must make sure you tell the person if he's stingy. If you are a member of CFT, I don't expect you to be stingy. If you marry a stingy person, you will make my life difficult. Are we together now? And you bring stingy person to this place. Because because you will be having problems every day at home. Okay? And all the giving you used to give, you can't give anymore. Are you with me now? Let me say something to you about giving. Somebody in this church, who is my son, was in relationship with a lady who he brought to me. And suddenly he came to me and said, Dad, I'm no more going to marry the lady. I said, why? And when he told me what happened is that he's the only one who gives all the time to the lady. The lady never gave even a card. I said, you are my real son. And I said, even if he says he has changed, don't go into that because that confession is untrue. 
To be stingy is an attitude. It cannot be remedied by a confession. I said, so tell her to come and see me. You are not going to marry that to a full stop. I will look for one for you if there is no woman. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. A stingy woman should marry a stingy man. <laughs> and produce stingy generation. Pastor, keep on reading. <laughs> I'll give you three clues, oh, three crunches, when you are looking for a husband or wife. <laughs> I think you've already answered this, but I'll read it so that the person would sort of like be conf- would have that confirmation. Said, I really want to marry, meet my own partner in life. One issue I've always had has been meeting and developing a, relation- a loving relationship. In relationships, I'm always faithful and often praying, but often struggle to find those or find that those have- they've not developed and are not as sure as me. I changed and became friends with them first. The last ex told me I was too nice for him, so I could not be with, he could not be with me. If this is the case, why do I keep going around in circles? That person you see, Apostle, you are not going around in circles. There is no such thing as circle. Every journey of life is one way. Life journey don't go in circle. So, that person should see me. Is very, very, no, the ex-girlfriend. The girlfriend that he left. So just see me and we'll resolve it. Yes, Pastor. Can couples who started living together after traditional marriage still be allowed to go through wedding ceremony, celebration in church? And or how do they consummate their union before the church? That last question has answered the first. Because if you marry in church... Alright? If you are a church person, you can marry in church, in native law and custom, or in court. Those are the three ways you can marry. So if you marry native law and custom, you cannot do church again. Because you are married. If you marry, if you marry native law and custom, and then you say you want to marry in court, in church, it's like marrying in court, and say you want to marry in church. You know, you can do that. If you want to marry in church, the rule of the church is that arms length. Have no intercourse or close relationship as in romance and intercourse and stuff until you marry. Because that's what you are going to do. You are going to live together forever. What are you in haste? That's all we have been teaching and showing you in the scripture. So, if you come from a culture whereby they do native law and custom, how is it done? The same week. Once you do native law and custom, you, if you want to marry in church, you still you are not married yet. You are still boyfriend and girlfriend. What you only did is introduction. You call it native law and custom. It's just introduction that I want to marry this person. In native law and custom, what do they say? They always say that there is a flower. We are looking for the flower. And the flower was flying. And it flew past. And then he entered this house. Isn't it? So, that flower... The other people will say that. Is it this one? They give you a wrong person. He said no. It's just to make people enjoy themselves and how families know one another. That's what you call native land custom. Just family introduction. That's it. You are not married. Okay? But if in your culture it is to pay dowry and to be married like that, if you do that, you cannot live together and then come to church that you want to marry. I mean, what you have consummated your marriage already. That's one of the questions you say that how is the marriage consummated when you, have, you come to church again and marry? 
So the church does not. It's similar to somebody also. The, the Pentecostal church view is not. Also, let me easily answer this question. If somebody in the marriage-to-be has a child, the church, Pentecostal, and evangelical, whatever, the tenets of the church is that that marriage should not be conducted in the church. The reason being that if that is conducted in the church, what you have approved is that any girl can get impregnated and have many children and then come and say, I want to marry. Then the marriage standard of the church, according to the scripture, has been broken. So, if a Christian is married, he wants to marry and the partner has got a child, what the church do? They tell you to go to court. Because the court is civil. That is legal, rather. They tell you to go to court. But when you do your marriage, then they can bless you. But to put on white gown and walk on the aisle is not a good signal to those who have been keeping themselves faithfully before the Lord for their marriage. So that's the answer to that. Yes, sir. But how, how important is marrying someone from the same tribe as you? It's not important. <laughs> marrying someone from your tribe is not important. Now, this is it. Let me tell you <laughs> an answer direct to that. It's better to, it, is an, it is more advantageous to marry someone within the culture you were born. That's more advantageous. But two people may be born, two people from different cultures may be born in another culture. Like my wife came from a tribe called Robo, and I came from Yoruba tribe. And my wife was born in my own town, in my own street. So her upbringing, her parents wanted her to marry someone who was born in Robo, grown in Robo. She doesn't understand them. She doesn't understand what they do. She doesn't understand their culture. She doesn't know it. But she grew in my own culture, that is in Lagos culture. But my father also wanted me to go back to my fatherland, <laughs> which is from Abekuta, to go and look for a wife. And I didn't grow up there. I wasn't born in Abekuta, I was born in Lagos. I would get that. Now, what is the advantage of that? It's not that you cannot marry from your own culture. But the advantage of this is that, is that the culture you grew. If you marry somebody from the culture you grew, you are 50% understanding. You guys who are born in England, you are different from us who give birth to you in England. There are some times we joke, you don't understand our joke. And there are some times you joke, we think you are rude. <laughs> are we together now? Like the first, the, the first time I came to England, when I first came to England, the first time someone says that, Alfred, don't be silly. I said, me silly. <laughs> me silly. You call me silly. Did you not just call me silly? She said, what are you talking about? I said, you just with your very mouth. Call me silly. She said, no, I mean, don't be silly. I said, you repeated it again. <laughs> ah, in my culture, is a great anger. How can you tell me I'm a silly man? Or don't be foolish. You are calling me foolish? Don't be stupid. Are you stupid? You know, in the old, in the, in, in, before I was born again, I would have begun to tell you how many people are stupid in your family. <laughs> but it's, they have to be told that, look, that was not abusive. It's just, you know, that is the way here, you know. It took me time to understand it. So can you imagine that my children have grown up to the place that they are just talking to me and say, ah, daddy, don't be silly. Hey, your father silly. <laughs> so, and apart from that, there are many other 
you know, way you communicate in English culture, that those of us who came from African culture have to learn it to understand that, you know, you are respectful in that communication. Because to me, that is disrespectful. So if you marry a typical African man, and you just went to the family home, your in-laws, and you are talking, they will soon say that that woman you brought to this house, go and call her now. Go and call her. What kind of language is this? We don't want this kind of language in our house. There is no way you can accept because you are innocent. And you can imagine how grieved you would be when you discover that your innocence has been exploited because of, you know, ignorance. So, that is part of it. Another part of it is your food, the kind of food you eat and all stuff like that. The culture, cultural differences. If you marry someone from a typical different culture, you have to be very careful. Because you have a lot to adapt to on both sides. That has nothing to do with born again. Either they are born again or they are not born again. They still have the way they think, the way they do things, the way they reason and stuff like that. So it is more comfortable to marry somebody who have grown in your culture and understood your culture. Yeah? Yes, Pastor. Yeah, but not necessarily the same tribe. Not necessarily the same tribe. <laughs> because you don't have to be from the same tribe. Tribe has nothing to do with marriage. Um, can a spouse be lonely in Christian marriage? Be lonely. Can a, can a spouse... Be lonely in a Christian marriage? If so, what are the factors responsible and how can this be eradicated or managed? How it can be managed is what I first talked about, is to just practice the scripture. Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 21 to 30 solves it. A Christian home where husband and wife don't share the word of God. Can you imagine what kind of future they will give back to? So if they have children, they can't share the word of God. There must be fellowship between husband and wife. What brought a man to marry a woman? Is it not because you are talking too much? How many of you were in country you never talked? And then the woman married you. No, when she wants to talk, you will talk until she sends you away. Is that not so for men? I can't hear you men speak now. So when you get married, communication breakdown causes loneliness. Your wife just wants to talk. Eh? You are working from morning till night, working morning till night, working morning till night. Where's my food? You ate your food. <coughs> you are snoring. Talk, talk, talk. You don't talk. Even when your wife wants to talk to you, you are angry. Some of you don't chat with your wife. Some of you don't joke with your wife. It causes loneliness now. The woman will look for somebody in the office that can talk to her. And before you know it, I have known a marriage that got into trouble because of that. Okay? The same thing. A woman, I've told you before, the man wanted the wife. The wife said, I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. How? The man went into another woman. So, what causes loneliness in marriage, I will say, is the dysfunctioning of courtship attitudes. Okay? Your attitude in courtship is super. That's why you are married. A proper courtship, there's communication, there's love, you show love, you tell your wife how much you love her and stuff like that. Women love to be told how much they love them until they grow old and then they, even when they are so old, they still want to hear that someone say, I love you, isn't it? So if you don't say to your wife, I love you, and men always love to be appreciated for what they are contributing. The woman don't know how to say thank you to the husband, and the husband don't know how to say I love you, it can cause a lot of problems. So communication and which comes from fellowship. And once that is 
Once that is taken out, we're talking about loneliness. What causes loneliness? And that's fellowship. That is fellowship, right? You know what woman is talking about? Some people, when they, when they close, when, before you marry, you know you have friends. When you are married, your wife and your husband is your friend, not the external ones. So if you are a person who always spend more time with your friends, and you get married and you are still doing the same thing, it will cause you trouble. Loneliness. You need, if a friend does not want to release you, you need to tell the friend, I'm a married woman now, sorry, I can't come. Oh, I'm a married man now. Sorry, you can't find me in that company. So that you will cut off all those excesses. You only need to concentrate on yourselves. First, if those friends say they won't visit you anymore, you don't need them. You have a company. You were their friends when you didn't have a company. Now you have a company. What are you looking for? So those things are very, very strategic. And you must know it before you go into marriage. That it will be at the expense of those you have been friends with and they must adopt, adapt to it. Those things can cause, you know, issues in marriage. Yes. It's, it's kissing. And the same thing with family. You know, when you marry, there are some culture where that is when they will give you a boy to, to nurse. Nobody has right to send his boy to another person's marriage. It is ungodly. Because when you give back to your own child, send it to them too, whether they will take it. It is selfish. And the cultures that do that, generation of Christians should cancel it. Anyone who gives back to his child must raise his child. The same thing when it comes to academics, you know. Sometimes, if you are not careful, your family members will have drawn into your finances to the extent that when you now need finance for your children, you don't have. It is wrong. Once you are married, you are cut off. Your money should be for you and your own children offspring to live. Now, when you are doing good, remember this. God told me you can't help the whole world. It's only I, God, who can help mankind. Because at that time, God told me that I have I become so mad. In, everything that I have is out. To the extent that to my own detriment. Before the Lord told me, told me that you can't help anybody. Even time. That's why to now, if you call me today, you will hear me because I switched off my telephone from yesterday. And I made up my mind that I will not put on the telephone until I finish this seminar. Because if I'm attending to this phone, attending to that phone, I won't be able to prepare for the seminar. Plus, moreover, I have an assignment to submit on Sunday. So, <laughs> they always say my adage that if I have born you and born your child, you, you kill the, the one that born you first before you look for a child. I think they say it in the airplane. If there's sudden compression, compression put your nose guard first before helping your children. <laughs> So, we need to understand this, that though marriage does not isolate us from helping our own kindred, because the Bible says that you should, but not to your own detriment. You must think of your own, and what you can give out, then you can do that, or else you will just, you know, it's detrimental to your own family life. Yes, sir. Next question is, is kissing foreplay? Is what? Is kissing foreplay? For? Foreplay. For, okay. for play. F- for, for play. F O R E P L A Y. For play. Okay. Okay. Is, I'll continue the question. Is the decision to kiss before marriage subject to personal conviction or completely forbidden? If forbidden, why? 
I have read it to you in the scripture now, from the book of Proverbs. When somebody is not married, okay, kissing the person tongue by tongue, let's first ask ourselves, what's the purpose of kissing? The purpose of kissing is to exchange mutual love as a part of the, you know, love exchange. Do you understand? You get straight out of it. And what would that do? It manipulates your mind and you start to have lust in your mind. The end product of kissing is what is sinful. Kiss itself is not simple. And if you look at it, where I was talking in the book of Proverbs, it tells you straight away that you shouldn't kiss anybody that is not your own wife. So when you are not married, if you are kissing somebody, it rouses you up, you eventually have sex with the person, and the person eventually said, I'm not marrying you. Why are you angry? Why are you angry then? So your eyes will be clear. So it is forbidden. Do you know something also? What you are, it's like sexual intercourse. What you are going to do all your life, why should you attempt it now? What about on, if your marriage is fixed, you are prepared for your marriage? I gave you the testimony of a woman who joined this church. On the married day, the husband left seven days before the marriage. All right? And on the married day, he did not show up in London here. His family still supported the marriage. The woman wore white, went to church, and the man did not show up. She almost collapsed, and she was pregnant. All right? And that's how she went into this ordeal, which led her to Christ, and then brought her to this church. But God, in his sovereign power, brought them together back. Okay? But they have lived together for 11 years. I mean, can you imagine that? That's a complete sin. So, if you look at therefore anything that is uh, anything that is uh, an intimate um, connection between husband and wife, I would say it's not something you do in marriage. Let me say too in uh, in courtship. In courtship, can two people buy a house together? Don't dare it. In courtship, don't dare it because. If you buy a house together and you decide not to marry at the last minute, who, what is the position of the house? According to law, you are not married, you are not cohabitant. And according to law, the only solution is found in property law, not in marriage house, which is a bit complex. That's talking about the fact that both of you may be legal owners, how do you express your equitable ownership on our platform? So it's a big, complex thing. That's the reason why you must make sure you get married first. When you get married, then you can do whatever you like. Well, it's okay, delay. Oh, mommy's talking about. Yeah, we have dealt with it. You know, when you, before you married, you had a property in your name, okay? And the wife has a property. The husband has a property in your name. The wife has properties in her, his, uh, in her name. The husband in his name. You know, marriage acts. That property you hold in your own name, from the day you married, you become the legal owner. And your spouse becomes... A joint equitable owner. The fact is that marriage or civil partnership 
have brought you together as one. That is the reason they talk about the pronuncial agreements. To see by that, that when, when we, as we are married, the day we divorce, all my property before marriage is mine, and yours is yours. That is the pronuncial agreement, and you sign it. But if you don't do that, the, the, the fact is, once you marry, you have become the legal owner, but your spouse has become equitable owner. And so they have to now begin to look at uh, the area of constructive trust and stuff like that to try and sort out your equitable percentage and all stuff. And it's complicated. Yes, any other? Yeah. I, I have been married for three years. You know, the reason why I remember this thing is that that is what I'm doing right now. And I'm doing an exam on it as I'm talking to you. So my head must be current. It's a good practice. <laughs> Except that you didn't permit me to start quoting, you know, the, the statutes and the standard, the most... The most standard uh, law uh, case that is applicable to that. The next question, sir. I have been married for three years, and from the onset, my mother has not been fond of my in-laws. Of late, my mother has started calling me and placing bad thoughts about my husband and his family. She has told me that he would leave me in the future, and I should start saving my own money behind his back. I was so upset about her thoughts, I do not know how to address her. What you do for, for the first, for the meantime, is cut that mother off completely. Cut her off completely. Because the Bible says, what God has done together, let no man put that under. She is a bad woman. Unfortunately, you have a bad mother. Now, from all the evidence I've shown you, if you treat your husband that way, and your husband treats you that way, then your house will crash to pieces. If you are kicked out of your husband's house, your mother can't marry you. Neither can she play the role of a husband. So that woman is a bad woman. But what she must not do, whatever is her deals that you and, I, you and your husband have agreed, send it to her. Let your husband know. But communication... Maybe what you need to do is to write all the scriptures I give you to descend it to her. And tell your mother that, Mom, you are advising me wrongly against the scripture, and I will not do that. You are better not to have a mother who is alive and be in your husband's house in love than to leave your house of the house of your husband that you have built together with a miserable mother. That's the position. If any woman comes to me who is a mother of anybody and says that, what we hear from me will be ter more terrible. Okay? Because that is not a godly woman. The next question. Dear Apostle, how, what can one do when their spouse organizes something with their extended family but does not make you aware of it and you found, find out from outsiders, what should you do? You just sit down, your, that is your wife or husband. You just sit that person down and let the person know that it's not a good thing. That is, the husband is planning some event with the family or the wife is planning some event with the family without the knowledge of the husband. You, when you, it comes to you, you only need to address it. You know, let me say something to you. There are many issues in marriage that happen that people bottle and bottle and bottle. It's a bad thing. As something happens, address it immediately. That is transparency. And address it with a clean heart. That, darling, this is not good for me. Not with an accusation 
with a heart of accusing the person. He may be ignorantly doing what he's doing, or she is doing. But you need to just let the person know that this is not right. In the situation whereby you both disagree, then you get to your minister. But everybody must know a Christian must be transparent. He said the two were both naked in the notion. A Christian must be transparent in his marriage because God is the witness between you and your wife. Are we finished? Just, uh, um, there's one you've already answered. is about divorce. Um, an Old Test- something about the Old Testament, Jeremiah 3, verses 1 and 2. Deuteronomy 24, 4, you addressed that at the beginning. Um, that's about divorce. Then there's a clarification, actually. It says, uh, Apostle, I just wanted to clarify that the missionary style refers to a p- the position a man and a woman must adopt when having... It is a demonic position. Full stop. Um, <laughs> my husband... I just someone... I mean, I, I don't know whether... That's why... You guys be very careful about... Yeah. Um, about... Um, this uh, internet, are you with me now? But I've given you understanding. Who is your instructor? Your missionary style, where that man goes, you will go there if you practice what he's saying. Are you with me now? The Holy Spirit is supposed to teach you. Let me say this in my own culture. When a man and a woman have married, okay? They will now, the parents will sit the husband and wife down and tell them about sexual intercourse so that they have full understanding of what they are doing. Really, in my wife's culture, they will keep you and your wife in a room, in a house. You will not work for how many days? For several months, they will be feeding you. They will be taking care of your everything. Because and let the women, old women will come and teach the wife, you know, about sexual intercourse, about home economics and all stuff like that, romance and all stuff, while the men will teach the man. So, there is no such a thing as a missionary way, it's devil way. Um, I think it's about the last one, apart from the ketsu that you are going to, you asked me to remind you of. Um, my husband, my husband does not study the Bible with me, neither does he pray with me. If we pray together, it's only me that prays. What can I do? If you are in this church, bring your husband to me. And whichever church you go, bring your husband to your pastor. But the fact is that if you look at the book of Ephesians, Ephesians I read to you, chapter Five, isn't it? One of the duties of husband. Husband, love your wife, verse 25. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her, for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. So the Bible says husbands should teach their wives the word of God. Okay? So a husband who even doesn't come into prayer, only God will deliver him. And and to present her to to herself as a radiant church without stain and wrinkle or any other blemish by, but holy and blameless. In the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
which means that part of the loving of your wife is to teach her the word of God. Hmm? So you cannot. Even the Bible says that you should not withdraw from fellowship of one another, isn't it? You know, just even among brethren, talk less fellowship of husband and wife. You must not withdraw. For any reason, maybe you are angry, only God knows. And you say, I can't go to the fellowship with anger. The woman should bring out bread and wine and give to the husband that you are the husband of this house, let us break bread. And no Christian must withdraw from the table of the Lord. That is abomination. Is the highest contempt a man can present before God. So therefore, beloved, obey the scriptures. Love your, hus- your wife as yourself and husband submits to your and wives submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. I hope I'm clear. Clap for me now. <laughs> Don't you know it's a hot seat? You know something, I told you I was going to tell you about uh, one uh, testimony, but I will say that some other time, because I, I still have to, I still have to tonight, I still have to do about four hours reading and writing tonight.